Welcome to the What's Your Revolution show, a show for men and the people who love them, where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's good, revolutionaries? I hope all is well. I'm wishing you and your families great success during this time. As cities begin to open up and the anxiety still remains, particularly in our communities, as we're on the front lines, in the hospitals, at the grocery stores, in the, res in the restaurants, it's us, it's our people. Please know that us at What's Your Revolution are here for you to think through how do you navigate this time? How do you get resources to you and to your families and how do you stay healthy? We are here for you. And as you know, you can always reach out to me to be able to think through what we say here is the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? I wish you well, revolutionaries. Please stay safe, please stay humble, but work with your people, keep your families close, and love on them. I'm always grateful for this show and what it means to me. I started What's Your Revolution nine years ago after hearing Thomas Friedman speak at my graduation at Tulane. What's Your Revolution is my brand. It's not only Charles Corpru, but it is who and what I am. I think about revolution every day. How do I transform myself? How do I transform the people I work with? How do I transform the communities that I reside in? That's what What's Your Revolution is. And so I am fortunate. I am fortunate to be able to talk to people who are thinking about brand and brand strategy and how media interplays with all of that. Like to be able to speak to some of the dopest people in the world. And today is not like it's an ordinary day because I've got Martin Ekachuku on my show. Head of, let me make sure I get this correct, brother. Head of media, marketing, brand partnerships and strategy at What Works. Martin, what's good, brother? How you doing? I'm, I'm well. I'm blessed. I'm healthy. I'm literally focusing on staying alive in this COVID <laughs> madness. <laughs> but I, I'm actually fortunate, healthy, happy. I'm good. Thanks That's, for asking, man. I hope, hope yeah. you're doing so well the same. I'm trying, brother. I am doing well. You know, uh, I always like to start to start with a little bit of a story, brother. I, I've been worried, wondering, had I been exposed to the virus? And fortunately, some of the brothers that I know here in politics were able to secure a grant uh, for a research study. And they were like, hey, we're going to put this out. 2,500 people. We want to see if you've been exposed to the virus or do you have the virus currently? And fortunately, I was chosen. Based on everything that I was doing before this all kind of hit, I was out doing Mardi Gras. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit, the revelry of Mardi Gras and hanging out with my people and then going skiing in Colorado, another hot spot. I was like, I've had to have this virus. Right. And let me see. Got my test back, Martin. It was negative. No antibodies. Yeah. It was, well, no, I, no antibodies. And I did not have the virus. I was actually hoping like that I had antibodies so I could go home and see my mother and father. But we still got to stay safe, brother. You know, we still got to stay safe and stay healthy because you just never know when it's going to hit and how it's going to affect your body. I actually used to think that I wanted to get the antibodies. I actually used to think about the fact that, you know, what if I got it, I would be so like massively you know, Superman like. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'll be good. But then I thought about it and I read so much more recently over the last few days, which is 
basically you're messed up for life. The moment you get this thing, you're messed up for life. Either it's issue with your blood vessels, issue with your lungs, issue with your brain, issue with inflammation. So it's like you may be walking and talking and feeling okay, but in all actuality, maybe the insides of your body literally all jumbled up. It's all something called silence. Oh my God, I can't think about it right now. But basically, it's, it, it measures the pulse ox inside of your body. So it measures, and as we talked about how I'm science geek and my background is in science. Yeah. And, it, and it measures your pulse ox and levels of, of oxygen in your blood. And they were saying that these people should be passed out on the floor because they did not have enough oxygen in their body. But for some reason, they were still walking around, breathing, talking, and no issues. So there is going to be some level of consequence out of this. So, and people talk about herd immunity all the time. I'm, not, I'm trying to stay as far <laughs> away from herd immunity. I, I, don't, I don't want anything related to this thing at all. So no, thank gotcha. you. I'm good. I'm away for a vaccine. I'm going to keep it moving. I gotcha. And it's an interesting take because we don't hear about this. And I'm sure we don't talk about this much in our communities, understanding the science behind this disease. And so I appreciate, I definitely appreciate that knowledge. And I'm sure that my revolutionaries do as well, knowing and having that understanding of what it means if you are impacted by this virus, if it gets into your body. Wow. That's, and I've, I've read that research where people are walking and talking and should be passed out because they're oxygen levels are so low. You know, I heard in that, you know, we're going to get to your science background because, you know, the journey that you've taken to get to this very lofty place in life is very interesting to me. But I want to ask you our signature question, Martin, what's your revolution, brother? Man, my revolution is born from being an immigrant, born from seeing the opportunity that really this country, good, bad, or indifferent, as far as how it presents to people of color, how this country provides you some level of a pathway to make your own story and your own path and your own future. So my revolution is being able to, to create foundation that provides something to my children, my children's children, as opposed to simply being on the earth and being complete and happy with just being on the earth. I, don't, I can't, I can't, be okay with that. I've got to be okay with the fact that I've got to develop something new and different and unique so that my kids 20 years, 50 years, 100 years from now be like, yo, that Martin Nekachuku really knew what was up. <laughs> you know, I, I, need, I, need, I need that sort of reaction from my children's children's children. And that's my revolution is building something that's bigger than myself. Wow. Dear brother, you know, and I, I appreciate that. And it takes me down a whole different road that I was going to go <laughs> right around my line of questioning. But I appreciate it because the conversation that I have with my fellows at Camelback Ventures, the organization where I work that works with women and entrepreneurs of color, what you're speaking of is making a long lasting impact in the world. But what I think is that you're talking about creating generational wealth as well. Am I right? 1000% right. It's not a, like wealth, generational wealth, equity in businesses that always will give you some level of a position in society, whether or not it's because of your color of your skin you've been denied or something or not, is, is there's the level of underpinning behind a family and the familial future that you really are trying to develop. And so generational wealth is literally my mantra that I live by right now. I don't do anything, make any decision about anything in business if I don't see the future for generational wealth. It's not about the money today. Because in all, in all actuality, my particular role, the money that I'm making in my particular role, I can make it 10 times that somewhere else. But I know that I can make 100 times that five years from now. You know, So it's like understanding that, 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 that bit of math and saying, take short money now to make long money later. Wow, wow. Just that mindset is totally different. 
right? Because we, we think about, I've got to make this long money now. We keep thinking about that. And so we, we take the jobs where there's this high paying job, but we're looking at right now, Martin, how so many jobs are being lost. And oftentimes we're the ones being cut. And we haven't thought about how to prepare ourselves, at least in my mind, haven't thought about how do we prepare ourselves for this generational wealth. One, generational wealth to me means that when things slow down, I still have the ability, right? My money is still churning, right? I think about my investments, right? I think about the houses that I have. I think about my father who was a, who was a principal but still made sure he was making investments for me and my mother and potentially if I ever have kids, which may not happen, but that we could be able to pass that on. And it's so, so interesting because this term of generational wealth, particularly in, in Black and Latin, Latinx communities, keeps coming up more often now. But it wasn't something that we really explicitly talked about as I was growing up. Why do you think that is that people haven't been talking about generational wealth before? And why are they doing it more often now? I mean, listen, my, I was born in Nigeria, raised in Czech Republic, moved to the States you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. And for us, it wasn't necessarily about look, talking about generational wealth. It, what it was, was establishing a, a role in the United States that could provide future dividends and would actually, no lie here, would actually help bring other family members from overseas to the States, right? It, it was that level of foundational support. So in essence, we needed to have, as immigrants, we need to have these jobs that were absolutely settled into these communities, into these roles that are important in society, doctors, lawyers, and engineers, nurses, that were important to that particular level of society. So we can go to the government and say, we are important. We have others that are important. Help me bring them over and then create that layering of effects within families. The, the challenge that I've seen within Black, Latinx communities is that the way that is presented now within culture is get yours now, go and get yours now. And, and it's unfortunate because I, I think that that also speaks to the lack of time that, that a dollar sits in the, with the black and Latino community. Get a dollar, dollar goes out. Get a dollar, dollar goes out, right? Because it's all about get your money now, go get stuff. It's supposed to get money, get your money now and go get and then go invest. I've, I'm, I'm part of fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And I've constantly bring these things to my chapter and say, listen, guys, we are a hundred black men strong. We have all careers. Let's invest. Everyone give $10,000. Let's buy a building. <laughs> you know, everyone give a hundred thousand dollars. Let's buy three buildings, whatever it is, you know, actually do that. You know, and, and unfortunately, even with not just my fraternity, but other people as well, they're like, that's just not really how they think. They're like, let's just, let me get this job. Let me take this hundred thousand dollars a year. Let me put it in a little thing. Let me do a little thing here. And, that, and that's it. And so, but you know, I'm born as an immigrant, born as an entrepreneur. And so my thing is, what's the next thing I'm going to put my money into to make me some money? Right. I love that, uh, that you talk about your fraternity. I'm a member of Omega Sci-Fi and, you know, nice. Yeah. You know, but not even, but, and like, I, I believe in collaboration. Like we don't, I don't have that, you know, that animosity that you'll see some, some people have for Kappas or Sigmas or Alphas. No, we work together. Right. And yeah, yeah. That ability to bring collaboration when, when thinking about creating generational wealth is key. And I think that we have to get out of that mindset that we can't work together. And I know that I've had it in, in the past, Martin, where 
I need to do all of this on my own. Can you talk, you know, explicitly about why collaboration is so important in creating generational wealth? Listen, the bottom line for me here is you can either go alone and reach a particular level. You can go together and, and hit, hit a brand new level. You can go further when you set up a, as a team. That's why team structures ultimately are very beneficial to people in general. I think when you talk about generational wealth, you know, unfortunately, as people of color, we don't have 500 years of, you know, lineage to go back to a rich uncle, sister's brother's cousin. We don't have, you know, even a hundred years of lineage of someone to go back to that says, listen, invest in X, Y, and Z for me. Uh, as an entrepreneur, as, as an investor myself, as, you know, working now with inside of, of a private equity firm as well, you know, the unfortunate conversation that are happening for people of color is you come in, you have to have 25 years of experience to get a million dollars. You have someone that's not of color comes in and it's the potential that they may have in the idea to raise that same million dollars. And so there's an absolute disconnect in that. So if you don't have generational wealth, you know, you won't be able to invest in your children's kids, uncles, sisters, brothers, sons idea. That might be the next Bill Gates thing. You know, if you don't develop that, you, you're ultimately cutting off a future ability to go after something. The only reason that Trump is who Trump is is because his daddy, right? And I'm not mad at that. I'm not I'm mad, mad at that, that right? No, I'm not at all. But I also want to give that to my kids. The reason that I want my daughter and my forthcoming child to have something is because of the daddy. I'm okay with that. Let that be the case, right? You know. So as a result, you have to kind of set yourself up. I want to give my kid a million dollar investment loan. <laughs> I want to give my kid a loan for a million dollars. I want to do that to give them that that thing. So if we don't prepare ourselves now for that future, then we're basically just completing another situation where it's going to be just go get yours as right. opposed to build something to give to someone else, and which is really my my honestly mantra. Gotcha. No, th I, I appreciate that, brother. I think the last question that I ask before I move on, I hear brothers talk about trust, right? When we think about collaboration and yep. wanting to partner in your experiences in building, building brands and building collaborations with people and building partnerships, how do you build that trust, right? That's going to sustain you for a, a longer period of time that you're really being able to work together to create massive amounts of money to create generational wealth. You can't, don't go in business with Pokey on the, on the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom line, don't go to business with Pokey. Don't go poke, don't go business with, with Kiki and him. You don't go business with Pokey and him. You don't go business with Ra Ra, Lil Ray Ray. You don't do, that's not what you do. You go into business with people that offset your skill set. Like my skill set is very defined and unique. I partnered with, a, with someone, Mr. Jeffrey Burroughs, who has 25 years of music and culture experience. I've got 20 years of brand strategy experience working at some of the biggest brands in the world. And our ability to offset that is incredible. I'm able to walk into a room, give you a plan that fits into a box. And he'll come in there and throw a grenade in that joint and be like, we should do this, boom! It's like, <laughs> and it's like, makes it even better. Blows it up, but keeps the structure that makes it fire, right? And I could never do that because I wasn't there with Biggie. I wasn't there with Puff at the beginning. I wasn't there with Alicia Keys. I wasn't there with Mary J. Blige. I wasn't there. So understanding that cultural nuance, that cultural thing, that emotional thing, I didn't necessarily, I don't necessarily have that. I'll never have that experience. But he'll also never have that experience of sitting in front of the CEO of one of the biggest, you know, food and beverage firms in the world and giving them a strategy that, that makes sense, that helps them grow globally, right? Offset. 
you have to offset your skill set. And once you understand that you can offset that skill set, that's where trust is built. Right. Because you're like, this person is bringing a value to the table that cannot be replicated anywhere else. And I'm providing a value to the table that he can also not replicate. So he has to trust my skill set. If I had another me that I was in partnership with, meaning like we had equal levels of equity in the company, you are constantly going to be bumping heads because you're going to think that you're, because you went to Harvard and I went to Duke, because you went to Wharton and I went to Harvard. It's like, oh, they both have same, similar consulting roles, similar this, similar that. So as a result, you're going to ultimately get messed up. So yeah. you've got to be able to understand that you have to offset your skill sets. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in a lot of trouble. Right. No, that, that's amazing. And it's, it's a tidbit that I'll make sure that I pass on to our entrepreneurs as they're building their teams and thinking through who they're going to trust and being humble enough. And I think that's, that's what I heard in that as well. You have to be able to say, I don't have this skill, but I trust you to bring that to this table so we can be successful. So I appreciate the tidbits, brother. Thank you for dropping the knowledge. Look, you know, as my friend Muhammad Leela would say to me all the time as you interview, don't bury the lead. And you threw me off by your, <laughs> you threw me off by your revolution answer. So I appreciate that. But look, you're doing some great work in the world. One of those things that you're doing because of COVID is donate one post, right? I've been doing some research on it and seeing the impact. Talk about that. And what was the impetus for bringing this, you know, bringing this collaboration with big celebrities and brands to help small businesses that are run by Black and Latinx owners? Honestly, the, the impetus was based off of my pure belief of just helping other people. My, uh, my business partner, my colleague, my mentor, name's Owen May, he runs an investment banking firm in, in, in New York City. And he's basically done everything. He's 60 plus years old. He's had the biggest firm. He's done all the biggest deals. And he always used to say, listen, Martin, just help, right? Don't even worry about everything else, just help. And for us, we, we were relatively insular, right? Our business is insulated. One, because we're inside of media, media consulting, media strategy, and media is booming right now. Everyone's home. Everyone's watching something. So everyone's asking for some sort of media strategy to help them reach more people. So we actually got busier, to be honest. Our deal flow changed, but we got busier. So the amount of deals we were closing was different because we were now our volume is much bigger because everyone's asking for stuff, but we're still like closing stuff. So our, our entire business had changed. So I said, well, you know, if we're affected, but in a positive way, what's what else is happening out in the market? And I noticed that a lot of small businesses were literally just crumbling at the feet. People that I knew were crumbling underneath. It's people that are trying to either take off or on the point of takeoff and not necessarily getting where they need to go, just crumbling. So I said, listen, you know, maybe we can leverage our influencer network because our entire baseline of our business is not only strategic ideas, but creating influencer partnerships with these brands. So why can't we use some of these influencers and ask them to help out some of these small businesses, give them some level of awareness? So I called up Sharunas Jackson, who is a dro on Insecure. I called up my homie Weedzy, who's a fellow podcaster. She runs a podcast called Horrible Decisions. And Mandy, who she's full core pumps on there as well. I said, listen, would you be willing to donate a post if I found a business? And she said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that. It's a great idea. Because the, the thing is, it's like the lift wasn't really that much. It was really just posting. So the ask was we're like, yo, just put on your, on your feed. I'm like, oh yeah, I can do that. And so I put out the call. I had a couple of people do it. And then we just took off out of nowhere. I was completely not expecting it. 
So we went from zero businesses to now 400 businesses in about six, seven weeks. We went from zero influencers to over 100 influencers, same amount of time. And we're constantly connecting businesses left and right. It's been really, really fascinating watching it go down. And we have people, everyone from Yvonne Orji to Angela Rai to Tahari to Tiara to, I mean, literally everybody that I know that we played with in an in influencer space all came to the table and said, yes, absolutely. We'd love to help. And we've generated about $1.6 million in media value. We've done about 160 posts so far to date supporting these businesses. Hashtag is really starting to take off. And we recently turned the company into a 501c3. What? So now we're, an, yeah, we're an official nonprofit and <laughs> it's crazy. Official nonprofit. And we're going to be taking this thing beyond COVID as well. We think there's a, there's a real foundation here because if you think about it, you work with small black and brown businesses all the time, access to influencers is kind of a thing, right? So it's in the cost to get them is obviously an issue. You might want to work with an influencer, but does an influencer want to work with you? Right. <laughs> and, and then can you afford it? If you can't afford it, you know, different one, the different conversation. So it was like that connection is interesting and important. So we said, well, how can we let this grow beyond COVID? And I created a model that said, if you have and go into a Nordstrom's, and you buy a $500 pair of pants, take it to your United Way or to your Goodwill, they'll give you a receipt for $100 after five years or whatever dollar you really want to be able to put on it. So there's a monetary value assigned to a product that you pay for and you receive a credit back you could put on your taxes. So if these black and brown businesses really want to help to want to continue to, to stay afloat, not only during COVID, but beyond, and you have these influencers that want to help black and brown businesses that are reputable and have been you know, screen in some way, we can connect that and then hopefully give these influencers a credit in some way of a, of a tax deductible note of some sort. Right. So we're giving the influencers some level of incentive to participate. And we're also giving the small businesses access to influencers because of, they've already been screened and they, they have an established business and they have an ability to truly continue growing beyond just this one, two posts. So if you're an influencer who wants to give 20 posts to get a $10,000 write-off on your taxes over a year, maybe you'll be incentivized to do it and actually help small black and brown businesses as a result. Yeah, this is dope. <laughs> you know, I think about the, you know, I always have that entrepreneurial mindset as I think through and solving problems. And so you basically had to solve two problems, right? The one of the influencer giving time. Why do I do this? What is this going to mean for me? Right? Because I've built this brand that we've talked about so much and I'm, I can get upwards, right? To $10,000 for people to just say, Hey, Martin Ekachuko is going to, you know, promote Camelback Ventures or what's a revolution and we pay. But now you're, so you're solving that problem by saying there's a tax write off that goes along with you giving your time and effort. On the other side of that, people are trying to figure out, as small businesses, I don't have this large amount of money to bring an influencer in to do this type of work. And so you're solving two problems at one time. And I, I, I love that. And I try to employ my entrepreneurs all, all the time. Think of innovative ways to solve your problems, right? There's a solution out there. And I love that how you brought that together. 1.6 million is amazing, right? It is truly amazing for black and brown entrepreneurs to come together. So in my head, Right. As a business owner, I'm thinking, well, how does how do people get connected with you and donate one post? How do we get involved in that? So donate one post, donate the number one post.org. 
and influencers and small businesses can go in there and literally sign up. Like there's a sign up form, the sheets in there, all of it comes directly to me and my team. And actually we partnered with this amazing advertising company called marketing and branding advertising company called the Joy Collective. Another fellow Nigerian friend, Orlina Nwoka Blanchard. I can't leave her American <laughs> married name off. Right. Orlina Nwoka Blanchard, amazing woman. She she raised her hand when I first asked to to support me in this and we kind of brought it all together. So now we have a larger team, not only of what works, now we have a donate one post team, as well as a joy collective supporting team, all bringing it all together to help bring this together. And, and actually people have been amazing. People have been donating their stuff like Farrah Morgan from Brand Jane, right? So she's literally giving us all her creatives. Like I'll create this and this and this for you. Boom. Like literally people are giving and donating their time and their services because they really believe in this in this whole movement of supporting black and brown business that are really struggling. I'm fascinated, humble, massively fascinated. Yeah, man. This is this is amazing when I think of revolution and people figuring out problems and transforming transforming communities and bringing them together. This is an amazing thing for you. So I appreciate that. And I'm even thinking like, I need to get my entrepreneurs to sign up. Y'all need to do this now. So if you're listening, <laughs> you, know, you were listening, Camel yeah, exactly. Camelback Ventures 2020 cohort, you need to be like on this. So I'm gonna make sure I put it in our Slack channel. Look, I'm gonna have a little bit of fun, right? Uh, also realize that uh, one of your partners at What Works actually put on the Teddy versus Babyface the verses, right? How was that, man? 3.7 million people signed on. What was that like for y'all? What was it like for you to be a, a part of that? Because the first go was a little shaky, bro. Yo, l listen, I, I, I take it like this. There are a few times when you're really part of a, of a cultural thumbprint, right? There are very few times. And I'm, I'm 43. I wasn't part of the bad boy era. I wasn't part of any of those music eras. So this is actually kind of new for me. It's to be part of these cultural moments. Mm -hmm. And so my business partner, Jeff and Babyface go back, you know, 25 years. They've made music together. They've done stuff together. And so our role was to really facilitate bringing the whole thing into one, right? To make sure Teddy was set up and Babyface was set up, figure out the music, figure out the strategy and the social media push. And from that, everything sort of blossomed. But but the idea for that whole thing, really, I mean, listen, all the credit goes to Swiss and Timbaland for creating the idea in the first place of doing the verses. But yeah, yeah, it was a little tough first go. I mean, so it's funny because it was me and my business partner we were sitting at dinner and we were watching. We were watching it. We were like, oh, everyone's on the phone. Like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Is, it, is he on? Does he know what's going on? What's happening? Literally, like, call after call after call after call. And Face is such the sweetest man, sweetest man on the planet. And we just heard him on the phone. He's like, yeah, man, I'm gonna call it. Yeah, man, I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it. Let's, let's try it again. I can't do this right now. Let's call it again. Because <laughs> he was done. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing watching the whole thing go by. But like I said, you know, I've, the music industry, I've been music industry adjacent my entire career. I've played corporate brand strategy, brand directors, brand management stuff, but never like squarely inside of the cultural connection into community and music is not really my thing i would leverage it to to help push brands forward but never really sat in the middle so i'm now I'm not actually I'm still not in the middle i refuse to be all the way in the middle because <laughs> that means like I, that's not really my lane i'm not like i don't want to be on the phone with puff at like 2 30 in the morning that's not really my lane i want to like know of the call that happened at 2 30 in the morning right right <laughs> but not really have the call at 2 30 in the morning so it's interesting. I mean, you're, not going, you're not going to get the place. cheesecake, right? You're not going to get the cheesecake. No, no, that's that's not my role. That's not my role. I'm too far ahead of my career. That's not my right. role. Right? I love that. 
what I knew, I, I remember chiming, not chiming in, but tuning in the first time of the whole thing. Like, what's going on? What's going on? And then, you know, figuring out, I grew up with Babyface and Teddy, right? So yep, yep. I'm a, six years older than you as of next week. And, you know, Babyface was college. Teddy, Him and Teddy worked my college years. And oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it was really interesting to see because they're, the genres are when I say they're different, Teddy, you know, had that swag, that funk. Yep, Babyface yep. was the, the crooner and, you know, I had fun. I had fun to Babyface in college, right? Yeah, where are you going to go? I'm trying to think, what was the, what was his hit, man? Yeah, had um, fun in Babyface in the college. Listen, Babyface was to the bedroom. What kind of fun do you have? You, you, that's, that's the kind of fun you have with the bedroom guy. That, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. I was, I was trying to allude to that, brother. But Babyface baby was with the soundtrack of college, right? You know what I'm saying? So we had a good time, man. But yeah, I love what you said really around the cultural moments that happened. And, you know, you had Joe Scott and Erica Badu the other night, and we're seeing this. And at first, we're seeing these male battles, right? Babyface and Teddy, a couple of more, I can't remember explicitly. But when we brought the ladies on, they brought a different feel to yeah. this, Martin. And yeah. almost to bring, like, we're going to throw the verses out, and we're just going to bring community. And so we're mm -hmm. having these cultural moments with cultural icons, musicians that have changed the face of black culture. You think about Erica Badu and Tyrone, right? You think of Jill Scott and this is the way, right? Again, you know, Jill Scott was Jill Scott was like I think college as well. So, I'm an old man. But <laughs> you know, I just love how we are transforming our culture. We're bringing our we're bringing ourselves together. We're healing together even though we're calling them verses. There are opportunities for us and I think about D Nice as well opportunities for us to come together as a larger community and heal through this. And I think yeah. that is so special for our communities, right? Because it takes you back. You can sing together. Even though we're social distancing, there are millions of people that are dancing in their houses, right? They're loving, right, on their family members. They're smiling. They're laughing. We're bringing something to our people that even in the midst of this trying time, Martin, we have hope. And that's what I love about this. Listen, I feel like hope is the one thing that we have to lean on the most to, the most right now. Like literally we have to. It, it's a situation where we're all literally rich, poor, fat, skinny, whatever, whatever. We're all dealing with the same thing right now. I mean, so you you have to lean on each other. You have, Like we speak to, about togetherness all the time as a company. We talk about stick togetherness all the time in our strategy with our, with our clients and our brands. Like, everyone's trying to just get through this together, you know, just try to figure out how to survive together. And, and hope is the one thing we have to hold on to right now. And, you know, with, without it, I'm not quite sure. I'm actually super thankful for everything that Jill Scott and Teddy and Swiss and everyone has done because it's really helped us distract us, right? It's like, ooh, shiny ball. Forget about this COVID. Shiny ball over here. Exactly. Check it out. And it's been amazing. D-Nice has then really became the template. I cannot tell you how many decks I've created since he did his thing where he's in it. He's in literally almost every deck that I have or or the concept that he has in, in every single deck because he's given us that cultural moment to say, this is how you can distract yourself and enjoy the good times. Yeah. And by the way, you know, we're, it's like Black Twitter is like, it's like we're now in a whole Black Instagram, right? Black Twitter has transitioned to Black Instagram, especially for these moments where nothing but Black folks are inside of there. And it's all of, my, all of my friends, all of my business partners' friends, all my girls' friends, everyone's in there, right? Everyone's doing their thing. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love how you place that we, we've moved, we've transitioned and bringing love and hope 
Dear Bubba, you know, we've, we've talked about your work. We've talked about the amazing things that you're doing in the world. But people are going to want to know, who are you, right? Who are you? I, I, I met this brother and started following this brother because he had been a part of Black Enterprise and my good friend Alfred Edmund Jr. with the Black Men Excel Awards and different things like that. But they want to know, who is Martin Ekachuku, right? Tell the world, right? Tell my revolutionaries, who are you? I am the son of immigrant parents to an interracial couple. I am a man who is focused on making sure that his family and his children will have a future that, and a better future than he had that won't have the same struggle that he did moving to the States and having to adjust to a whole new culture. He's a, Martin Nekachuku is a rabid, tenacious business person with a never say die energetic attitude that goes straight for the jugular all the time. And I'm a, I'm a man who, whose mind you can't change. It's like, my mind is good, bad, or indifferent. That's what it is, you know? And, and I do exactly what I want to do with intention. And, and that's such something I learned in the last year, intentionality. Everything has to be done with intention. Otherwise, you're literally just playing games. So, you know, my life right now is, is full of, of love and happiness, excitements, amazing future. But I'm a simple person. I, I'm a dinner and drinks with friends. I'm a small gatherings with my close people. I'm not a go out to the club, 50,000 people in there. Unless I'm in Vegas and I'm being forced to, that's fine. But that's, that's not my scene. My scene is close, close people that you want to be around. The one thing I learned from Puff, one of his sayings was, I hope I can get it, get it correct, was, you know, I'm only going to spend time with people that fulfill me personally or fulfill me professionally, right? I'm spending my time there. And I literally do that now. I remember when I was, you know, much younger, probably in my 30s, that I would just literally spread myself everywhere with everyone, with no real sort of filter, to who it should be, how it should be, when it should be, you know, and that was a waste of time. And I saw a lot of those things be a waste of time. My business partner should help me also fine tune that even further. But I truly live by that now. And that things like intentionality and being able to identify where you spend your time have to go hand in hand. And that's really how I focus myself now. Like I've made difficult decisions to be happy in both career and professional life, right? So, so that's really who I am right now, which is making clear decisions about things in my life that will require my time, but that is fulfilling both professionally and personally. Martin, I started this show because there was nothing out there for me to hear brothers like you. Nobody was really doing this, right? And so people will always ask me like, what's your favorite podcast? And it's, it's hard for me to say my own. Right, because it sounds hubris. Right, it does. It, it you sounds. Should, man, Kanye, you're the Kanye West the podcast, bro. <laughs> nah, bro. Nah, nah. So I, I kind of hide that, Martin. Like, but I listen because I get to hear like that that soliloquy that you just gave us about who you are and life. And and I think about at 49, what what am I intentional about? Right. How am I spending my time as a man and how am I giving my, am I passionate? Because we talked about this, you know, when we first met the other day, you were like, I don't do anything unless I'm passionate about it. Because if I'm not passionate about it, I'm wasting my time. That means you, if you're wasting your time, you haven't been intentional, as you just said, and in thinking through what you're doing. 
And there's that push, right? There's that push. I was talking to a colleague today, Martin, and she was like, Charles, you're, you're wasting your time, right? This project management stuff, you're out of your zone of genius. She's like, what are you doing? And so this is why I do this show, because I, I hope people listen to what he just said, like small groups, loving his friends, loving his people, intentionally saying, I'm going to, I, if you don't fulfill me professionally or personally, peace, I can't really mess with you. And if you can hone into that, your life is going to change, brother. Wow. No, I appreciate that so much, man. Sometimes I just, you know, sometimes you just need the smack in your face. And I'm sure people will say, damn, you're right. I haven't been intentional enough. <laughs> brother, look, you know, the crazy thing about your journey to me is that you were a scientist, right? You got a degree in microbiology, but now you're one of the leading brand strategists in the country. Like you said, you're working with Puff. You, were, you worked at Rhythm Nation with Janet Jackson. And, you know, you're now at Zeo Capitals as one of their, you know, one of their partners with my man, Nasir Kadri. How did you go from a biologist to one of the leading brand strategists, media marketing strategists in the country? First of all, you're incredibly kind <laughs> with that <laughs> label. <laughs> incredibly kind with that label. I always try to sell myself in a very smaller, smaller way. <laughs> Don't do it, brother. Don't do it. Listen, in all, in all actuality, my, uh, as I mentioned earlier, being an immigrant, you come in wanting to have a future pathway. And the fortunate part about becoming in this country and being forced into a particular career is that you're not necessarily happy doing it. Like I actually got accepted in the medical school. My sister's a physician, loves it. But she looked at me and she's like, listen, this is not your ilk. This is not the thing that really builds you. You've got to find a different passion. And I literally just finished four years getting, you know, top honors in microbiology applied to medical school. Like literally every single person should that gets in should go. But she's like, listen, this is not your path. And I love my sister and listen to my sister. She knows me pretty much better than most people at this point. And I decided to take a risk and like leverage my exper expertise within science and my love of wanting to interact with people. And that's what like my first touch of intentionality is seeing where's the cross section of what the things I love to do. I love science and I love, you know, things related to people. So, all right, let me become a pharmaceutical sales rep. It made sense. I can leverage that. I can talk to folks. I can make some money. I can talk about the science. And I was, I was at the top of my class for all that stuff. I was killing it within pharmaceuticals, you know, but the thing inside of me always sort of like was burning, which was there's more than just being a pharmaceutical salesperson. There's more than just simply going and calling on doctors every single day of the week. There's more to that. And I wanted more. And it's because my parents instilled in me this immigrant sort of foundation. Like you're, we came here. We weren't born here. We came here for you to do more than just take a job. So, you know, that's kind of when I started getting introduced to business school, identifying the right business schools to go to and really pushing myself to go to the next thing. My brother-in-law, he went to Harvard. He got accepted to Duke. I only applied to Duke. I felt like it was the only program that really made sense for me. And so that was literally the pathway. But it's interesting because when I actually went to business school and I got my offers, I had like eight or nine offers going back into pharmaceuticals. And it really wasn't my thing. I really was like, well, I can all, if, I, if I have these many offers going back into pharmaceuticals, I can probably go ahead and test something new out and see how it goes. So I took the opportunity to really test something brand new. I had one job offer, actually one internship offer from Ford to do the marketing leadership program, killed it there. And I got a full-time offer to go work at Toyota in Los Angeles on a Toyota Lexus brand as a product manager. And went and I literally caught the bug. I was like, okay, this is really what I wanna do. This, this is really my love. But I wanted to spread my experience out, decided to get into more consumer product goods. 
and really understanding how consumers make decisions, how to change consumer behavior. Because what was interesting to me was that I could create something that someone could look at and as a result would have a different result, right? I give you an ad that tells you this does this and you will then go buy it. That's fascinating to me, fascinating. It's like the power in language, the power in imagery fascinated the hell out of me. So it's almost like the science behind it, the research required to understand consumer behavior was absolutely fascinating. The research behind what particular things people wanna see really touched my research and scientific background, right? And that's really what I go for. When we start projects is I look at the data, give me all the data you can, give me everything you can about the consumer so I can understand it, that way I can create a strategy off of it based on my interpretation of that data. So that's really where that cross section came from. And next thing you know, I started, I started a tea company from scratch, you know, raised money for it, did well, sold the company, we went public and then came back from that, wanted to kind of learn a new industry and then jumped into creating a brand strategy company with my business partner because we found an opportunity in the market, which was no one's talking about culture as it relates to brands in a real way. People simply just connecting culture with brands, but not like really looking at the 360. And, and for most of the marketing people that are listening to you, there's a whole 360 plan that's required. You have a marketing mix and your marketing mix cannot just be one thing. <laughs> so it's like if you went and got Kanye today to do something, actually that kind of is a good example. Uh, let's, God, <laughs> God bless Kanye. You got, God bless Kanye. Love Kanye. But it's like, hey, I'm not bringing him up right now. Let's say you got Beyonce today to do something. You don't just simply just give her the product and say, hey, can you please tweet about it? You're going to incorporate her into the brand. You're going to figure out not only how to create her own line, how to create an experiential portion, how to create a, a, an appearance here, how to create this, how to create that. You have like all of these things that has to be inherent and woven in to the brand. How does it get woven into the brand to where it makes sense? There have been a lot of dusty partnerships that I'm not going to repeat right now because I'm making a phone call later. <laughs> but it's a lot of du dusty partnerships that like, yo, you shouldn't be doing this. You're going to look stupid. But they still did anyway right. and look stupid. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's like I developed kind of a really good intuition of how to tell stories to help brands connect to the consumers. And what's funny is that I get told all the time that I'm a really good, I can tell stories. Where I can storytell. I can write. I actually didn't go to school for creative writing, but I had these stories in my head that I was able to kind of transfer into a, into a presentation. And I have a way of presenting that information to where you like, you're sitting back and you imagine it. You're like, that's dope. Let's do it. <laughs> and there's a science behind it, right? I think about the psychologist meaning, right? You're impacting people's behavior by understanding, like, like you said, you're understanding the data. Like there's a, a number of data points every day, individually about our behavior. By coalescing all that data together, you can then influence large swaths of people, right, to buy a, a simple item. Like I think about the AirPods that you've got in your ears, and I'm trying to decide, should I or should I buy them, right? I got five or six pairs of earphones in my house, right? But why do I want the AirPods? Because they, for some reason, they speak to me. They look cool, right? I can walk around, right? Just that whole branding around that, right? And there's a, there's a cultural piece that Apple has, and we can free branding for Apple. But there's a cultural piece now. Like, you can't walk around with these anymore because that is not the cultural piece anymore. Nobody's walking around with yeah. overhead, right? They got the small ear pods. So you want to be a part of the collective consumer behavior. That's, that's so interesting. Leads me to this question, right? You know, when people think about branding and marketing, if they're early stage, right, they're early stage, what are they doing wrong? 
right? They're early, they're early stage entrepreneur, they're early stage company, right? And they're thinking about marketing and branding. What are they doing wrong? I could probably think of three things. The first is they probably have got a really expensive consultant telling them the wrong things to do. It's <laughs> 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 probably the first thing that they were wrong. No, but, but I, I, I mean, all seriousness, I think that, that they have not distilled exactly what it is that they're offering that is truly unique and different and differentiated in the market. They're not doing that enough or well, right? I, I look at it and I try to think all the time, like every single project I'm on, I always ask myself, how's this different? How's it unique? Why do I care? Or if I'm gonna be good number two, why am I good number two? What's it, am I differentiated by price, by speed, by quality? What is it that's making me number two? If I'm not number one, or if I'm trying to be number one, what's going to be different to knock the number one off the pedestal? And I think the problem is people go too wide. They try to talk about everything. We do everything. Like even right now as a strategy company, we don't say we do everything. We literally do everything. Okay? We, we do everything. We do SEO. We do digital strategy. We launch digital campaign, talent influencer, talent deals, brand deals, social media marketing. You know, literally we do everything. Our sweet spot is everything, but what we're the best at, we're the best at connecting culture to brands, leveraging, I mean, connecting brands to audiences, leveraging culture, entertainment, and media and marketing. That's like our thing. We get right. an emotional connectivity between those two people by leveraging that sweet spot. We fill in that gap. So we call ourselves, we, we bridge the gap on our website so we bridge the gap to relevancy. So that's our thing. So we we're able to differentiate ourselves in a particular way. A lot of people come to the table and says, we do it all. No, you don't do it all because no one believes you do it all. Even though you could, no one believes you. Stop selling something that's not believable. So stop presenting your product as an early stage company as something that can fix everything. Don't. It's okay to be narrow. It's totally fine. So that's the first thing. You're probably not talking about how narrow of an offering you're giving that's unique to a particular need. That's one. The second thing that people are probably doing is they're thinking that people are just going to show up and just be there and buy day one when they turn on the light switch. It's not the case. <laughs> it's like, and speaking from past experiences, that's really not the case. There is a whole marketing mix that's required. There's a whole multi-channel, multi-platform, multi-everything to be able to get you. Like I was looking, I cook a lot, a lot. I love to cook. And I swear my iPhone's listening to me. <laughs> but I literally, what, what, I'd be, I, I would look up, you know, a crab recipe and I would be on Google and on CNN, crab recipe shows up. And then I'm on my Instagram scrolling up, crab recipe shows up there. And I'm like, damn, they got me. They got you. <laughs> I guess they I'm going to call this crab recipe. Right, exactly. So, they got I've you. Seen it, I've seen it three times now, you know? So it's like, it, it's, it's understanding how consumers consume media, consume the information you're giving to them. You can't place it in one, in one bucket. You need the influencer. You need the social media. You need the SEO. You need the search. You need the, the PR company. You need this. And you've really got to make really tough decisions to say, what's the one thing that's of most value to me right now that will help me sell product? What's the one thing I have to absolutely do? Because like, I have a, I have $1 and if I spread it, spread it around 10 things, it's 10 cents. What's the one thing within the marketing mix that gives me the most value right now? If it's e-commerce and Amazon, that's where I'm spending my dollar. If it is Instagram, because I'm going after a younger consumer, 
it's it's an Instagram advertising. If it's influencer, because you feel like this is something that really is an influencer product, it's only influencers. It's literally finding the one thing that's incredibly targeting to what your goal is at the end of the day. Yeah. Look, dude, you were given a masterclass. You understand that, right? <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling like Oprah. Like not Oprah, Oprah. <laughs> Right. Oh, pro. Oh, pro. That's what, oh, pro. You know what I'm saying? You're you definitely giving a masterclass there, brother. And I appreciate it, man, so much. My revolutionaries are going to eat this up. Last question I'm going to ask you, brother, before we close out for this wonderful, this wonderful conversation that we've been having. There's so much noise out there because of COVID. Every time I log on IG or Facebook, somebody's doing something live, right? I found you and started listening to you with, was that your sister that you were on with that Friday or it was a, a uh, Jessica Shepard. Yeah. She's yeah. a, she's a 20 year old, 20 year old close friend. She's a married to my fraternity brother. My, one of my closest fraternity brothers. Gotcha. So great conversation, but not even, but, and there's so many people. Do you think that personal branding is important during these periods of time? Like, cause there's so many people trying to personally brand themselves, right? And so my question, yeah, that's my question to you. Should people continue to personally brand themselves now, post-COVID, and forever? I, th I think personal branding is incredibly important, but it depends on how you do it. Like, my team presents me as a thought leader within particular skills sets. One's brand strategy, one's food and beverage, and others, uh, another one related to entrepreneurship, and particularly black and brown entrepreneurship support. It's like the three places that they, they kind of place me in from a personal branding perspective. But I, I think that there's a process to being focused on personal branding that you have to kind of consider. One, are you being tone deaf in your approach right now within COVID to where you're presenting yourself in a way that ignores the, the struggle that people make, that people are currently living in? And if you're not focused on you know something within COVID, how can you then provide some level of value to people through your personal branding at the end of the day, right? So it's almost got to be like, before it was personal branding just because, yay, I'm here, I look good, I'm amazing, whatever. Now the personal branding has to be, has to be around, what are you giving to people, right? What's, what's your offering to people? That's interesting. I think it was less so important before COVID. I think we, we kind of would gloss things over. I think because of Instagram, we're like, oh, shiny, pretty, really good looking, yeah, cool, whatever. Now it's like, what, so what are you saying? What are you yeah. really saying? Are you yeah. offering a, something of value to people? Otherwise, now now Twitter and Instagram will come after you. Like, yo, man, you're being really tone deaf. What's going on? Yeah. You're trying to show you, like, like, like they had some influencers that were traveling around the world, you know, or some particular influencer that left their home from Florida to go to, like, the Florence in Italy or something. And like, oh, we're escaping to our chateau in the Swiss Alps or whatever. And people came for her. Like, yo. Well, stop showing that. Yes, right, you're an influencer, right. but we're not. We don't have. We don't have the luxury of escaping. We literally got to stay right here the entire time. You might can escape. It's good for you, but don't showcase it like, oh, we're suffering and we're going to our chateau. So it's like understanding that level of nuance between personal branding within COVID and personal branding, you know, before it and what that means. But I think that generally, if you're position in the future is meant to provide value to people as a whole you shouldn't take materialistic you know i guess materialistic positions now yeah no that's great man i think about that 
you know, for myself and what's a revolution and my friends who are doing great things and how they're positioning themselves and branding themselves and making sure that they are messaging correctly. Yep. And anybody can go on and flash whatever. And but in this meaningful time, we need meaningful voices. And I, that's, I think that's going to be the 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 way out. Like we want we want to feel good. Uh, as we talked about earlier, we want hope. We want people to provide us hope. And we want those influencers to provide hope for us as well. Martin, I appreciate the time, brother. It means a lot to me for you to give <laughs> give your influence to What's a Revolution, brother. It means Happy a to. tremendous amount to me and for my entrepreneurs who I'm going to make listen to this show. Like, look, <laughs> like you better listen to this, right? Like, you've heard all of this from me, but you better listen to this. My final question to you, brother, as I ask all my guests, how are you taking care of yourself? What are some tips and strategies that you use to be the best version of yourself? A few things that I do. My daughter does not live with me. So I, I, I keep my mental sanity because I don't travel. I can't travel back to see her right now inside of COVID. So I keep my mental sanity by speaking to her on the phone and FaceTime quite often. Um, so that's one. The second thing I've been doing, and since we've talked last, I've actually picked this up because I took unfortunately, you know, the tragic death of Andre Harrell truly hit my friend community and myself very, very hard, like really, really hit us hard. And we all started doing kind of like a little bit of self-reflection. And I told myself I've not been very healthy in, from a physical perspective, and I've been very healthy. So I got back into my yoga practice. Yes. I've been doing it recently. So it's like, I feel, I feel actually feel really good. It walked like eight miles just the day before yesterday. So like, okay, you know, I'm actually getting more physical from that perspective. And I, and I try to speak to my, I stay connected to my family and all my loved ones, you know, as much as possible. So that's really how I'm maintaining mental sanity as well as some level of physical upkeep at the same time. Right. Family is key, brother, especially during this time. I miss my mother and father. Exactly. And, you know, congratulations to you on being a father. It means so much, you know, to be able to influence generation after generation after generation and you know as i said before i am grateful for the time for the information for the the joy the laughter as we say the hashtag blackboard joy that we've been able to experience over this uh told, look as i said to you the other day i told people i'm gonna have martin on they're like that's your twin you were like i'm the good twin. <laughs> <laughs> i'm the good one i'm the good one i'm a good one hey brother look take care of yourself and keep doing what you're doing and thank you for being such a positive light for us in the world. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate yeah. it. No worries. And for my revolutionaries, we wish you well. We wish you safe and successful passage through your life. And hopefully that you're reaching out to others in some way, that you're finding joy and peace and laughter with each other, even though that we are social distancing. And as you're working through your question, you know, if you need help, we are always here. We want to make sure by the end of your revolution, you can say, I've done it. I'm there. I've reached the pinnacle. I've reached my answer. So have a great week. We will talk to you soon. Take care, everyone. Peace.